Welcome to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast with your hosts, Chris and Nate. How you doing, Nate? I'm doing great. Uh, good to be back in the studio today and doing another podcast. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Today, we got a great topic. We're going to be talking about discipleship. We call this one the discipleship one. The it's discipleship gonna, one? Yeah, I feel like that's a good title. It's a good title. I feel like it's good. I don't think you racked your brain too hard coming up with that one, but you know. It took me a long time. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Before we get into that, we want to remind our viewers and our listeners to like us on Facebook, share us, comment, and if you have us on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher, you give us a review, send us out. That stuff helps us totally get the message of the gospel out. So before, let's jump right in, Nate. And we've got an opening question for you. Have you how many times have you watched the opening, the new Star Wars trailer? Um, I think four. Four I times? I think I've seen it four times, yeah. So um, I actually didn't see it the day it came out. I, I didn't, uh, I don't have cable or anything. So I didn't know like when it, when it had come out, but somebody texted me and just said, hey, have you seen the new Star Wars trailer? So I watched it. I was blown away. So I immediately rewatched it. And then I showed it to my wife who didn't appreciate it so much. And then I watched it a fourth time because somebody made a comment on what they thought it might be implying. And, and so I wanted to fact check. So yeah, I've seen it four times. You seen it, You beat me by one. I watched it three times. I feel like the Trinity, you got to watch things three times to get a real understanding, but no more after that. Four times is just abusing it. Like watching. I want to get pumped up though. Like I'm looking forward to it. I, I mean, say what you will. I, I actually, I think, I think the last couple of Star Wars movies have got great reviews, but say what you will about, you know, messing with a good thing. And there's, there's all those purists out there who are like the original trilogy and nothing more, but like these have been good movies and I'm pumped that we get new Star Wars movies every single year. So I mean, I know it's only, what is it, April, and we're already, uh, we're already talking about Star Wars that comes out in December, but still, I, yeah, I'm pumped. You got to look forward to things. Yeah, you right? got to have something to look forward to. Lord right? willing, <laughs> Star Wars will come out in, in December, and it'll be great. Yeah, is it, yeah. so it does, it looks really, really great. Um, the fact that Luke will be in it, uh, that, like, that looks pretty cool, and uh, are we doing spoilers? Can I do spoilers or what? You can do yeah. spoilers. Okay, so spoiler alert. Um, when he says the Jedi must end, like it just kind of blows your mind. And I'm, I'm, I don't know what that means. I mean, it could be taken out of context, just get nerds like us to talk about it. But um, the fact that they might be taking things in a different direction, like personally for me, I don't know what you think about this, but personally for me, I'm thinking that um, that means that Luke is going to uh, recognize that one of the difficulties is that the there's always a pull to the light or the dark side. And so the, the the Jedi who are all about the light get tempted with the dark side. And even in the last one, we saw Kylo Ren, dark side, getting tempted by the light side. So I think what he's going to say essentially is that Jedi and Sith should no longer exist, that like existing within the dark and the light within each, each individual uh, force-sensitive person um, I think that's the way. So it all kind of become gray Jedi. I think I think that's where it's going, which is kind of cool. That is kind of cool. You you just articulated very quickly for our audience exactly why I only watch things a couple times because my mind will do the same thing. I'll pick apart that trailer <laughs> to the point where the movie has nothing to do with what I thought it was going to be about. And then you get disappointed because you think your idea is better than theirs. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. I'm a little bit arrogant, so I was like, I'm like, oh, I'm fairly confident my storyline was better than the storyline the experts came up with, which is a, which is a problem yeah. in a lot the, of things. Um, Rogue One just recently came out on video. Have you, have you watched it since like you saw it in theaters yet? No, I haven't watched it since in the theaters, but I saw it three times in the theater. So oh, Okay. I, I only saw it twice in the theaters. And so uh, I, I saw it when it came out and it, it holds up, man. It's, it's a good film. Like any, anybody who likes Star Wars, 
really anybody like sci-fi in general, if you haven't seen Rogue One or you're you're some sort of Star Wars snob where it really is just the original trilogy stuff, get over that. Get over yourself and just go watch Rogue One because it's it's awesome. Get off your high horse and go see yeah, Rogue seriously, One. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. The interesting story, my parents just moved and they actually found like the original Han Solo action figure now unboxed so it's not worth anything, but like I must have buried it in the backyard. And so they, when they were... <laughs> Is that where pull, you kept all your treasure? Apparently I buried things. I was a pirate <laughs> as a child, which I'm totally cool with. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, but they found that in a stormtrooper. So I now have like a stormtrooper and a, and a Han Solo figure that are actually older than I am, which is impressive because I'm old. Nice. But also because like, that's kind of cool. That um, is pretty sweet. It doesn't really look like Harrison Ford at all though. It kind of just looks like a generic white guy's face. It was yeah, scary. action figures have come a long way. Actually, this is getting us off topic a little bit, but um, we were at Toys R Us the other day getting like an outdoor toy for Quinn who is a year and a half. So you're just getting her something that she can splash around in. But of course I'm at Toys R Us and I can't help but notice the action figure aisle. Oh yeah, I go there every time. And when I was a kid, like GI Joes were sweet, don't get me wrong. But like when we were kids, the toys we had to play with pale in comparison to some of the sweet stuff that's out there. Like I'm looking forward to having boys so that I can play with, like play GI Joes and like action figures with them because yeah, the stuff they have out now just would, would put our, our toys to shame. Yeah, that's why I'm hoping you're, if you have a son and name him Obadiah this time. Obadiah. That, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I'm for. working on that one. Yeah, my wife hasn't agreed to the name yet. but We can call him Obi. It'll be Obi. Obi. Obi-Wan, wow, right? Wow, wow. what I did there. Yeah, nice. Um, but then I can just have an excuse to buy toys for me to play with with him. So that'll it, be... It will get suspicious if every Christmas uh, my son gets a toy from Uncle Chris that uh, is unboxed and looks played with. <laughs> it, will get, it will get suspicious, but at the same time... Will he well, care? Nah, yeah, it'll yeah, be fine. It'll yeah. be fine. Good, I'll just, good it'll be weird when they just stay at my house for when he comes over and hangs out. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, it looks like Uncle Chris is in the middle of a G.I. Joe game. <laughs> Can I play with these? And no, then, don't touch and that. Yeah, exactly. And then he gets... Uh, 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 I'd still play with He-Man figures if they had them. Yeah. I love those at Castle Grace. Anyway, yeah. we're off topic here. So let me ask you another question. So what, some of the people, uh, after a couple of our podcasts, asked us this question. So I thought we'd I'd pose it to you right yeah. now. You're at home, you know, you're watching TV, about to settle down for a, an evening after a long, hard day's of work. I'm, I'm a pastor, so I don't know what that's like, but okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so the rest of us, if you're sitting at home after a hard day's work, <laughs> and you're about to pop on Netflix just to, you know, relax for a little while before bed. If Jesus manifested in your house, but didn't want to like have a conversation, just want to sit down. And, like you know, he needed to veg out as well? Yeah, he, he's had a hard day of ministry too, right? Yeah, he's okay. controlling the whole universe. Yeah, you know, a tiring job. He did rest on the sixth day. So maybe he's resting, he's choosing to do this. Seven. I know it's a stretch here, unlikely. But he wants to watch Netflix with you. What are you showing him? Ah... <clears throat> uh... So he's specifically asking me to watch Netflix? Yeah. He, like he uses the term Netflix? Yeah, he wants to sit down with you and watch something on Netflix? I feel then I feel like then you got to watch a Netflix original with him. Because otherwise he would have just said, like, let's watch a show. So, assuming that that's true, um, I'm going to watch... You know what? I'll, I'll probably either... I'll watch one of two things. I'll either watch the Daredevil miniseries... Uh, I feel like I've talked about that on this show before, though, so I feel like that's kind of cheating, talking about the same thing twice. That's a great series. First and second season were awesome. I like them both. Um, so I'll go with a different one, just I, The 100. Have you seen The 100? It's a good It's a good show. 
Um, actually, I don't. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if it's a Netflix original, but it's a it's a great show. It's about basically these hundred um, eighteen year olds who it's a post apocalyptic world. They get sent down to the world. The world is uninhabited because of pollution in, in the distant future because of nuclear war and radiation. So they go up and they, they live on space stations and they've been there for generations and they send these kids down to the planet to see if it's inhabitable again. It's it's awesome. It's kind of like Lost meets something more sci-fi, like Lost and and Firefly or something. I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's solid. It, so it's a mix of the two best shows ever? Basically, saying? yeah, yeah, it's good. It's worth watching. Apparently, I should be more into the 100 than yes, I am. It's good. I've only seen the first season and about five episodes of the second season. Yeah, I, I think there's like four on there now. There's so, four seasons. Yeah, I haven't seen them all. I'm working my way through them pretty slowly. We, I don't, you know, haven't seen. Yeah, apparently, I apparently can't binge a, watch enough. But uh, yeah, have, it is. You have good. a lot more free time than I do. I think. Maybe, no, maybe, probably not. Probably maybe. Not. <laughs> um, but that is a good show. I expected you to go with like the Gospel of John. Just to be like super over the top Christian? Man, I didn't even go spiritual on no, it. You no, you There's no. a lot of Christian movies. No, no. Like, so I'm not showing them God is not dead. No. God is not dead too. God is not dead three. War Room or any of the God is not dead. Ah, I didn't even think of the Christian movies on there. I'm a bad Christian. I'm going to go with Heaven is for Real. You're going to show Jesus Heaven is for Real. Yeah, because here's my whole theory <laughs> is that he will sit with me and then he'll just point out all the false things in the movie mm. where I'm sitting there watching and be like, oh, I didn't catch that one. And we would just tear apart the movie together. Like chirping it. Yeah. And I feel nice. like that would be super fun to see because- Chirping a movie with Jesus would be pretty fun. Well, you know, he he does correct people in a loving way. Yeah. But at the same time, so he'd be seeing that and he'd just be like, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Heaven's not like that. Here's what it's really like. And then he'd give me something profound, even though he just wanted to chill. Man, you totally went way more spiritual than I did on that one. I did think, I did have more time to think about it. Yeah. I'm going to go with that. You're not because you're a better Christian than me. FYI. <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't think anybody would argue that. <laughs> Fair enough. You're a pastor and stuff. <laughs> uh, okay. So discipleship, uh, watching Netflix with Jesus, uh, watching Heaven is for Real for Jesus. Uh, I can't think of a segue into our discipleship topic, so let's just talk about what we're supposed to talk about today. Well, before we do that, there was one other thing we wanted to do in this episode. Um, we actually want to introduce, remember we want to talk about what something we want to get rid of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what goes segment. in the bin, right? What goes yeah. in the bin is the new segment. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. New segment, what goes in the bin. So the idea here is, you know, it... Christian culture is kind of wonky, right? And there's there's the stuff there's stuff out there. There's you know uh, John B. Crease, there's Babylon B. That are starting to like satirically poke fun at Christian culture. And so um, what goes in the bin will just be a little segment where we talk about like what's one thing in the in kind of Christian culture and in church culture that you would just get rid of. So I got a good one for you. I'm I'm just I just want to do away with the phrase hedge of protection. If I hear one more prayer about some, God putting a hedge of protection around like like yeah, I get it. It's an Old Testament phrase, but like let's just use the words we mean. If you mean you want God to protect your kids, just say that. You don't have to say it's a hedge of protection because I know I know plenty of people who are like a hedge of what? Like why are they talking about bushes all of a sudden? Why are they we we have these phrases that we pull out of the Bible, we rip out of their context, we use them in prayers and and, and it makes us sound spiritual. Hedge of protection. Don't say it. I hate it. <laughs> Unless you're reading, unless you're reading in Isaiah where it says that. No more hedge of protection. No, I don't want to hear it. No wall. Like yeah. why, why that not goes a wall? in the bin. Hedge of protection. Yeah. Why not, why not a wall? Why not a force field? Or, or, or like you know, mighty tower. Yeah. Strong fortress. There's yeah. so many better Refuge. references. Yeah. Like, my rock and my strength. There's lots of great analogies, and we we 
pull out the one that's like the most confusing for non-Christians, a hedge of protection. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks guys. The, the hedge of protection. Yeah, That's what's going in the bin for me. That's what's what going are you putting in the bin this week? What am I putting in the bin this week? I'm, t- I'm tempted to say like the prosperity gospel just to go like cr- crazy <laughs> spiritual on you. Uh, I'm not going to do that though. I'm going to, I'm going to bid off, I'm going to bid off offering plates. Mm. Now hear me out here. I know You're saying that to the guy who lives off what comes out of the offering plate. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to bid off the <laughs> no, no, idea I, of giving. I, no, I get what you're saying, though. I get. I get what just you're saying. Just the passing the plate around. At this point in time, who is not giving electronically, right. or or doesn't know that they're going to give and just walk to the back and put something in? You know yeah. I mean? At this point, it feels awkward for everyone. I think. Yeah. At this point, it's one of those things we're still doing where we all kind of realize we don't probably still need to be doing this but we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. I think honestly, I think offering plates are on their way out. And I I say that just because I think like our generation, as soon as automated giving became a thing, it's just like, well, sign me up. Like I don't have to remember my checkbook. I don't have to remember Like I, I've never owned a checkbook in my life. It's just a generational thing. I do all my on my banking online. So I think, I think that's a generational thing. And I, I do agree with you that like, I've seen churches that have the bin at the back or the box at the back of the sanctuary. It's just so much easier. Like I always, every single Sunday I get up there and I'm talking about like taking up offering. I, every single Sunday I want to say to anybody who's visiting, like this is a housekeeping item. Like we're not, we're not asking you for your money as a visitor here. So yeah, I totally get you, man. I, that's kind of my, my whole thing. It's just an awkward thing for, for everyone, I think. And I, I just thought of this now. It, shouldn't we be to the point where we just be like, everything we spend a bit goes to the church? You know what I mean? Like, like almost like Simply Save, where you just swipe and like 5% goes to the church every single time. Five cents from every purchase goes every, to the church? Ten, 10 cents on the Dude, dollar goes to the church. if you market that, you can make a lot of money, especially if you can get like Osteen's church on board. All I have to do is pitch, pitch it to Elevation and we're good. Yeah, exactly. Right? There you go. That'd be ama- That's a great app idea. Yeah. That's copyrighted on the Rebel Alliance Media <laughs> yeah, Podcast. Oh, you have to do is put a timestamp on things nowadays. Is that all you did? Notarize? I don't know. Anyway, so let's let's get into the actual topic here today. Let's do that. Um, So we're talking about discipleship. Yep. So we know that the Great Commission specifically tells us to make disciples, but if maybe it's just me, but it feels like our churches don't seem to know what that means anymore. Well, it's interesting. So you, I mean, you mentioned the Great Commission, right? So Jesus says, "Go make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them obedience. Go make disciples becomes like the phrase, like go make disciples of all nations. And it's funny how like most Christians and most churches that that seems to like be parallel or, or seems to be the same thing as like the Billy Graham Crusades, right? So like they, they, they reduce the Great Commission from go make disciples to go make converts, right? Like go make people pray a prayer and count themselves as in so we can check that off our our list. So yeah, like I think, I I think that's a great question. I think there's a lot of churches that aren't doing that well. So when you think about the Great Commission, go make disciples. What's that mean? It doesn't, it does mean conversion, right? It does mean taking what what the Bible will call enemies of God, uh, haters of God, you know, pick your phrase, uh, dead in their trespasses, Conversion is a real thing, right? So uh, people who uh, repent and believe the gospel, converted, regenerated hearts, amen. Absolutely. That's that's step one. But that's step one of many steps. Like that's not, you're not suddenly a disciple, right? You, you suddenly become a disciple, but this discipleship is a long process. It's the process, really, it's the process of helping somebody get sanctified, right? It's that, it's that, so justification 
our right standing before God. That's conversion. That's what God does in your heart. But sanctification, that's the process of becoming more like Jesus. And that's the process of discipleship. So the Great Commission isn't just go make Christians. It's it's also, it's go make Christians, preach the gospel, but then it's also help Christians mature in their faith, help them become more like Jesus. And that's what I don't know that churches are, are doing all that well. Yeah, I think, I think we're really, we're really, really good at, not, not really good, but I think churches in North America specifically are good at the go. We're good at the idea of get, get people to believe what we believe, convert them. Right. But then we, we, we equate that as the end of the process. Right. When, if you continue the Great Commission, teach them to obey all that I have commanded to you, right. which really means teach them to live like Jesus. Yeah. Discipleship, what is it at the core is transforming a heart into one that follows Jesus, that acts like Jesus, that is like Jesus, right? The, the whole process of discipleship is becoming like the master, right? So becoming like Jesus, be imitators right. of Christ. And so I think I think that's where we've we've dropped the ball in our North American culture, where we think, oh, we, he, they're in the church now, we're done. Yeah. And so we almost take like that whole idea of like, well, he's been a Christian for forty years, he should be a mature Christian. Where it's not always necessarily the case, right? So just because they've been converted doesn't mean they're they're a full fledged disciple of Christ at this point, because they haven't necessarily matured in their faith. They haven't learned to obey. They haven't learn these things, right? Yeah. I, I, the verse that comes to mind is Luke 6, 40, which talks about like a, a student is not above his master, right? Every disciple, when, once fully trained, will be like his teacher, right? And so that's, that's the process of discipleship is becoming like the teacher, right? Becoming like Jesus. And then um, Paul says, you know, be imitators of me as I am an Im- imitator of God. So there is this idea that like, um, you, you find somebody who's further along in terms of Christian maturity, further along in, in Christ-likeness, looks more like Jesus than you do, and you learn from them, and you become like them as they continue to be like God. So there is this sort of, like, um, imitate somebody whose faith you uh, appreciate, and, and as they imitate God, you imitate them. You're both bearing God's image. So, yeah, discipleship is is huge, and I guess, like... So, I mean, I know you just took a course on this, so a lot of this stuff is, is probably pretty fresh on your mind, but I guess, so here's my question to you, as a, you know, as a pastor and as, as uh, I was a youth pastor for a number of years, discipleship is one of those things that every pastor knows they should be doing. Every church knows we should be doing discipleship, but it's a hard thing because, I mean, the more organic it is, the less likely it is to happen. And the more rigid it is, the more people are prone to push back against it, right? You know what I mean? Like if you don't if you don't put a discipleship program in place, it just it doesn't happen naturally. But if you try to make it a program and too rigid, then people push up against it thinking you're being legalistic or whatever. So what's that middle ground? Like how do you find that place where it it happens, it happens organically, it happens relationally, but it but you're making sure it happens. Yeah, one of the, one of the quotes I, I heard when I was in my class at discipleship um, at Bible College this like last month was the phrase, and it stuck with me because it's I think it's pretty pretty telling about what the idea here for the church is. And the phrase I hope I hope I get this right is um, date the model, marry the mission. So the, date the method that we do discipleship with, but marry the mission. And the mission is to make disciples. Oh. The model. The model. <laughs> you're, you're I was thinking like yeah, I was there. thinking like, I. I yeah, my my, <laughs> I was thinking like supermodel. I'm like, why why is he talking about dating models? 
Okay, sorry. Let Model me get my in mind terms in the right. Like, yeah. This is the method. Gotcha. I could have said method, I guess. Yeah, no, um, no. That's not what. That's not what the quote was, though. Gotcha. Um, the idea there is so, like so. Date the model. Say that one more time. Date the model. Marry the mission. Got the it. mission is to make to make disciples that obey and follow Christ. So really to tra- help them transform into a likeness of Christ so that they become mature and can make further disciples so that as disciples grow, they make more disciples. Right. Because you're, we're commanded to do this. This is yeah. God's... Like, this, isn't, this isn't like, you know, there's a discipleship pastor who will take care of this for you. This is like, if you are a disciple, you make disciples. That's one of the characteristics of a disciple is that they make disciples. It's not an option. Exactly. And, and Jesus gave us this this model, right? yeah. Like he had disciples and everybody always thinks of the 12, but even within that 12, he had three that he spent. Right. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John spent more of his time with them pouring into their lives right. so that they could then go on and make more disciples. And so I, when, I, when I'm saying about the date, the model, the models and the methods we do, it might change over time. There might be things that we do that are that work for you to make a disciple that would necessarily not work for X situation or Y situation, but the mission is always the same. And I think the church has to put models in place. We have to have programs and things that are intentionally doing this because this is, this is paramount to us becoming the people that God, that God has asked us to become to people who love him and love our neighbors as ourselves. Disciples, true disciples of Christ are the only people who can do that. So, I mean, it's easy So it's easy for us to sit here and have this conversation from a church perspective, right? Because we can sit here and talk about all the ways in which the church falls short of this, uh, and I would agree with that. And, you know, we have a lot of high-level conversations around our elders board about what discipleship actually looks like, and a lot of it's theory because it's hard to find the practice. But um, I think a lot of our listeners aren't necessarily church leaders, aren't in Bible college, aren't pastors. So from their perspective, what's their responsibility to both be and make, be discipled and, and be discipling. Yeah. The, what's, what's the regular, yeah, like, regular attendees? Yeah. Like your, your average everyday Christian, what, what should they be doing in terms of making disciples and, and being discipled? I, I, I think, I think there's a twofold answer to that. So as somebody who's just on, on the journey of becoming more like Christ. I think they have to, you have to identify where you're at, where you're weak, where you're strong, and find somebody, like you said, who's in the church who's more advanced than you. Right. The, the truth is, even, even being in Bible college, there's always people who I can learn from. There are people who can invest in me and teach me things about Jesus and who are closer and walk closer to Christ than I do. Right. And that's not a shameful thing. That's their farther along in that journey. So I need to identify those people and be, become in relationship with them and get them to intentionally pour their lives into me. And then I need to do the same thing back. So there's people who are behind me and I need to pour back into them. So a regular person, regular is a weird word to use for that, but who just is in church and wants to know how to, how to start this process. It's simply about one self-identification. Where are you in your, in your walk with Christ? Yeah. I, <clears throat> I like what you're saying here. So it's a look, look, look kind of ahead and look back. Um, one of the phrases I remember, I don't know what book I read this in, but it was, it, if, if, you're, if your goal is to be a Paul, it's be a Paul, find a Barnabas, mentor a Timothy, right? And so the, the idea there is like, Barnabas is the guy who poured into Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. When he became a Christian, there were a lot of the, the leaders in the early church who were wary of him not wanting to necessarily associate with Paul, thinking he was tricking the church, et cetera, et cetera. But um, Barnabas, he, he poured into Paul, 
and and Paul seemed to submit well to Barnabas and and needed Barnabas and his encouragement and and his push and all that kind of stuff. And so Paul, even despite like all the education he had, right, a Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, all the knowledge that he had, firsthand encounter with the risen Lord, uh, but he still recognized his need for Barnabas, somebody who's going to encourage me, somebody who's going to keep me accountable, somebody who's going to help me grow in the faith. But then Paul also found his replacement. He found his Timothy, right, and trained him up. And and when you read First and Second Timothy, you hear, you know, Paul's love for his disciple, love for his apprentice, and and basically, you know, pouring into him, hoping and praying that that Timothy's ministry goes well beyond Paul's. So the idea is like, if you are listening to this, you are a Christian. You should have a Barnabas, and you should be training a Timothy. And it doesn't take a church program for you to go up to somebody in your church whose faith you admire who is the husband you want to be or the or the wife you want to be or the mother you want to be or the father you want to be and just say hey you know can we grab a coffee and just start to try to build a relationship ask them questions how how did you balance work and home life how did you grow in your faith what did you do when you struggled with this sort of sin it doesn't take a church program for you to be able to do that and it's not weird that's what the church is for it's only weird because the church isn't doing doing well at at programming this stuff and it's not weird for you to find somebody maybe who's a couple years younger than you or, or, you know, if you're in your 30s, finding a young 20-year-old newly married and, and getting together with them and just saying, hey, you know, I just thought, you know, you just got married or you just had a kid or whatever the case may be and just say, I, I want to help you not make some of the mistakes I made. Here, let me tell you about my first couple of years of pretty rough marriage, but this is what I learned from it. Like, that's not weird. That's the church. That's what it should look like. Well, that's that's the idea of the body, right? Your pastor is not going to go through every struggle that you're going to go through. That's right. But there's somebody in the body who probably has, who can help you walk with Christ through that. In fact, that's a beautiful picture. Yeah, and that's 2 Corinthians 1, right? That, That God puts you in circumstances that are difficult. He gives you, it says, affliction, and you are afflicted so that God can equip you to comfort those, right? It calls himself the God of all comfort. Uh, who comforts those in their affliction so that you can comfort others who are afflicted in the same way that you're afflicted. In other words, you're going through something specific and unique, but not so specific and unique that nobody else is going to go through it. And the reason you're going through it is so that you can learn how to deal with that as a Christian and then equip the next Christian who goes through that and show them how to get through it. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and it's one of those things, that you, it's, it's important to remind everybody that Everyone is a disciple. It's a everyone is a disciple of something, be it the media, yeah. be it TV, absolutely whatever you're putting into your you're you're being transformed by what you see, what you read, what you teach. As a Christian, we know that there's like Jesus is the is the greatest gift that can ever be given, the greatest thing to know, the most in-depth thing to know. These are the things we should be turning our attentions to being discipled by that so that the other things bounce off us, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a great point. Everybody is a disciple of something, right? Everybody is a disciple. And either you are getting discipled by, I mean, we, we started this program talking about Netflix shows, right? Either, honestly, you're, you're either being discipled by TV, by the media, by you know, sports culture, by whatever, you, but you are, be, you are being discipled. And uh, the phrase is, you become like what you behold. This is a biblical principle, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about how 
uh, we who are essentially beholding Christ with unveiled faces, where we see Christ, are being transformed into his image and likeness. So when Christ is before us and we're, we're meditating on him, we're learning about him, we're, we're uh, studying about him in his word, we become more like him. But that's true for anything. If you're, if you're burying your head in, you know, social media five days a week then, or, you know, five hours a day, then you are getting discipled by the people you're following on Twitter, the, the, the Facebook pictures that you're looking at, the, you know, whoever it is that you're following. So whatever it is, everybody is a disciple. It's just, are you being intentional about who you're, who you're turning into? Because the Word of God says, every disciple, when fully trained, will become like the teacher. And so who's teaching you? Exactly. And I, I like that thing you just said about being intentional. And I think this is where a lot of our, our people and our churches have, have missed the ship. We, we take a passive approach to our discipleship. We're like, oh, I come to church every week. I, you know, do a Bible study once a week and that's it. You know what I mean? I, like I've, I'm, I'm expecting discipleship to just happen over time instead of being intentional and taking an offensive approach right. to your discipleship. We play, we almost play defense. Like this will happen just based on natural time. I'm like a sponge. Eventually I'll fill up to the point where I'm a full disciple. Right. Instead of being like, I'm, I want to grow right now. I want all of it as much as I can have at the moment. And just being like out aggressively, like trying to become more like Christ, combating sin, getting knowledge, all those things that help you become more like Christ. Yeah. And, and we think that like, uh, a good two hour church service on Sunday morning is, you know, one Sunday to the next, slowly and but surely, we're becoming more like Jesus. And you forget that the other, you know, six days a week, the other many, many hours of the week, you're getting discipled by whatever it is that you're filling your mind with, your whatever it else you're giving your attention to. And and so there is no standing still. It's not like you you grow a little bit at church on Sunday and then you stand still until next Sunday when you get there. If if you're not being discipled, if you're not filling your mind with with uh, scripture and with with good godly wisdom, then um, then you're you're regressing until the next Sunday. And so it's 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 always this you know one step forward, three steps back throughout the week. And so and we wonder why all of a sudden we wake up one day and we don't feel connected to God. Um, there's there's one other thing that I would just say about discipleship, like what when I think about discipleship, and, and we can use the phrase becoming more like Jesus, um, and that is discipleship, but sometimes we think about that, and it's like, okay, well, Jesus didn't sin, so discipleship looks like me sinning less, like working in the church more, but it, it, it goes way beyond that. It's not just about, like, what you have started doing with your, with your free time, or not done, doing with your free time, or things you are doing, or things you aren't doing. It's not about overcoming that list of sins or whatever. It is that, but it's, it's more than that. It's also just thinking biblically, right? It, it's, it's, it's actually knowing the word well enough that when something completely unrelated comes up in your life, when you're, when you're forced to make a decision at work about, you know, do you take this career path or that career path, or, or your kids, um, you know, have something going on in their li- life and you're trying to figure out how best to parent your kids, there might not be specific advice, like chapter verse in the Bible that will tell you what decision to make. So you need to be thinking biblically so you can apply the wisdom of Scripture into everyday life. And so what does a disciple looks like, look like? It looks like somebody who thinks biblically and acts Christ-like at work, at home, as a husband, as a father, as a worker, as a boss, as a neighbor, 
all those things. And I think that's one of the, we've compartmentalized things so much that we, we forget that, yeah, yeah, it is about you overcoming that sin, but it's also just about how you talk to your wife. It's about how you talk to your neighbor. It's about how you submit to your boss at work. It's about how you don't gossip with your coworkers. Like it's all those things and it's every sphere. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, because it's it's just real discipleship is transformation. Yeah, right? it's transformation exactly. of your heart. It's not knowledge acquirement. It's not behavior modification. Right. Those are parts of it, but those aren't the like that isn't the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is our hearts being conformed to right. the image of Christ by knowing your Bible, by being able saturating your life with all these things so that you do think biblically because it's natural to do that. Right. Because that's what your heart is now, like you now love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. Right. So these things become a second nature to you. Right. Which is why we always push, read the Bible, pray. It's not because those things in of themselves are going to do it. It's because those things are what go from your head into your heart and out into your hands. We've said that before to make you more like Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was a that was a good discussion. I have a Christian life hack that kind of ties into this for you, Nate. Sure, yeah. Um, so, what do you do specifically when you're struggling with a sin or just with something that's happened in your life that's difficult? What do you do? Uh, great question. I, I I think honestly, the first thing is is that God, the first thing we have to remember is that when you become a Christian, you are baptized into a body, right? God gives you the body, the the, the church. He gives that to you for a reason. So. Honestly, the first thing I do, if I'm struggling with, with a particular sin or I'm struggling with even, you know, uh, struggling in a particular circumstance, which often leads to sin, right, in my reaction to the, that circumstance, so it's kind of the same thing. Um, the first thing I do is I, I've, I find who, who do I have to talk to about this, whether it's, it's a sin in my own heart or an attitude or the way I'm handling the situation or, or whatever it is, who, who do I talk to? And, I mean, a lot of times that's obviously Colleen. Right. Obviously, God gave us our our uh, spouse as the primary means for our sanctification. But sometimes it's not always just her, or sometimes it's somebody else completely, or sometimes it's somebody else as well. And so I I just make sure I have people in my life that I'm I'm going to call them, even if it's an awkward conversation, even if it's like, hey, look, I'm I'm noticing this sin in my own heart, or I'm I'm having this recurring thought that isn't a good thing, or I'm struggling with this. It's tell somebody sin takes root in secrecy. And so the first the first thing I do is find out who I can tell and uh, and find somebody where like my Barnabas and I have my, my Barnabases in my life. So I, I talk talk to them, uh, kind of confess your sin, if you will. and then uh, oftentimes it's just find find where in scripture um, is going to help me think about this situation. So if I'm struggling with lust, then one of the first places that I'm going to go is is in Colossians where it talks about keeping your mind in the things above or, or even to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about how to combat lust. Or um, if I'm struggling with, um, you know, uh, through a, a difficult circumstance that's out of my control, financial difficulty, whatever the case may be, I'm going to go into scriptures that remind me of God's sovereignty, right? That not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Heavenly Father knowing. And just remind yourself. So it's 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 really retraining how you are thinking about that particular thing. So first thing is find somebody to talk to about it because sin finds root in secrecy. So tell someone and then find out where in scripture is going to help you think biblically about the situation and just trade your sinful thoughts for what the word of God actually says. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Remember, if you liked what you heard, give us a like on Facebook, share us on Facebook. 
spread the word. Get the podcast out in other people's hands. We try to be as helpful as possible. And if you're following us on iTunes, give us a review and rate us and let us know what you think. And feel free, if you have any questions, to send us a direct message or just post it right on the comments. Have a great one, guys. Take care. See you next time.